So if you have a Bible, would you open it to the book of Exodus with me? Today we'll be finishing up our study in the book of Exodus as we are plugging through the first 18 chapters. We find ourselves in chapters 17 and 18 as we finish up our series entitled Exodus, Our Response to the Intentional Love of God. Now our aim has been to train our eyes to see God at work. Our aim has been to train our eyes to see God at work. The way life works is what you love, you look for. What you love, you look for. When I come home from a long trip, I don't come home, walk in the door looking for my microwave. I come in looking for my family that I haven't seen in such a long time. Why? Because what you love, you look for. If I hand you your high school yearbook and it's in your hand, what are you going to do? You're going to look for your picture, and you might look for some friends. Why? Because you look for what you love. I remember in college, when I was dating my wife, Dana, there were times when we would be meeting up someplace, and I would walk into this space, and you would see the crowd, and I would look out trying to find her because there was this excitement and anticipation that I'm looking for what I love. I still have that excitement today. When I go to see her at work, where is she? There she is. What you love, you look for. And so the aim of our time today and throughout this series has been this, that we might see the God we love, the God who loves us, and we might see him at work in the scriptures and in our very lives because in crisis... In chaos, it's the hardest time to see him. So, as we've said, this seeing Jesus in the everyday, watching him at work, it doesn't just come from sitting and listening to a sermon. It comes from doing hard work. The hard work, the life-giving work of sitting still with Jesus, processing your emotions and struggles with him, praying and meditating on his word, writing down your thoughts, consciously sharing what God is doing around you and in you. This is the hard work of being a disciple and making disciples. And so what I want to do is I want to read just a portion of our text today as we highlight this main point that we are saved to exalt Jesus together. The title of today is we are saved to exalt Jesus together. Together. So let's look at Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. And I'm going to read that passage in its entirety, but we'll be looking at 17 and 18 of Exodus as we conclude our series. The Word of God says this Exodus 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they, Aaron and Hur, took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other side. 
so that his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. Let's say that together. The Lord is my banner. Saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let me pray. Father, from this miraculous story, we ask that you would help us to see you as a miraculous God. We ask that we would learn the lessons that you have for us. And we pray, O God, that you would strengthen us in these days. That Jesus would be our greatest treasure. And we would live because you have done what we could not do. We would live in the freedom of the gospel. We would not do as a means towards acceptance. But we would know how much we are loved and accepted. And therefore, we would do. We would love. So now move in our midst, I pray. I ask for your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we enter chapter 17 and 18 of Exodus, I'm going to ask what I had to ask of myself, and that is that we check our self-righteousness at the door. Here's what I mean. I remember as a young Christian, I would read passages like this, and I would read about the life of Israel. And as I read about Israel, there was a common refrain in my mind. How could they be so stupid and foolish? Why do they keep doing this? I would be frustrated at their constant forgetting of God and doubting of Him. I would just be so bothered by them. And then, as I've grown more and more in Christ, I say less, how could they be so foolish? And I say, how could I be so foolish? How could I be so foolish to forget God, to doubt His promises, to walk in any moment in unbelief? especially on this side of the cross. And so I just ask that as we read about Israel and all of their problems, that we would not first be thinking about our neighbor or our nation, but we would be thinking about us and how we need to grow to look more like Jesus. And so today, as we're in chapter 17 and 18, what is happening is Israel is going through the wilderness And they will come all the way up to the edge of Mount Sinai. Chapter 19 and forward is where they come to Mount Sinai and there's the giving of the Ten Commandments and more. But today as we look at 17 and 18, as Israel comes to Mount Sinai, there are three lessons from Israel's journey that I pray that we can internalize. The lessons from Israel's journey are these. Remember his presence. Exalt Jesus together. Share the burden. Remember his presence, exalt Jesus together, share the burden. Let's look at the first one, remember his presence. So before we get to the passage that I just read for us at the the top of the sermon, I want us to look at what preceded it, Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. Now this point is shorter because it's simply a reminder of what Pastor Travis did such a wonderful job in explaining last week, and that is... When the people of Israel had no water, they quarreled and grumbled against God and against Moses. You remember the story. They had no water. 
They quarreled and grumbled against God and against Moses. Then God commanded Moses to strike the rock, and after he struck it, water shot out to refresh the people. That's the story. But when God commanded Moses to strike the rock, it was equivalent to God commanding Moses to strike him. Because in verse 6, what you see is it said God stood before Moses at the rock. And in other biblical passages, God is called the rock. And so what we have here is God commanding Moses to take the staff, as it says in the passage, the staff that was used to strike the Nile in judgment upon Egypt, they were to, he was to take that very staff and strike the rock, that is, strike God himself so that the waters of refreshment would come to the people. Do you understand, with our Jesus lenses, what a communication of grace and mercy that is. God took the judgment strike for the people, and through that judgment, poured out refreshment. This is why Paul communicated in 1 Corinthians 10, looking at this very passage, that Christ was the rock. He was the rock. Jesus stood in our place. God himself commanded that God himself, Jesus, be struck for us so that God might be just. There's got to be punishment for sin. And the justifier, sinners can be made righteous. As Jesus stood in our place, we can be justified through faith in that glorious gospel. So as we begin this sermon and reading these opening words of chapter 17, we read the miracle of saving grace for undeserved sinners. But what was the sin? What was the sin that God stood in their place for? In Exodus 17 verse 2, it's called quarreling twice. It's called testing the Lord in verse 2. It's called grumbling in verse 3. But God summarizes it all. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 17, he summarizes it all saying, they tested the Lord and they questioned whether God was really among them. Now just let it sink in. What's the conclusion? When crisis hit... They forgot God was among them. When crisis hit, they quarreled. The conclusion is that if we believe God is among us, that he is present with us right now, when we are posting or talking to others, we would not be despairing, quarreling, a grumbling people. Instead, we would be confident, lamenting, hopeful, and a prayerful people. Now, just as an understanding here, I use those words carefully because there's a difference between lamenting and grumbling. Lamenting is taking our cares to the Lord. Here, he defines grumbling as the forgetting of the Lord and taking your complaints and arguments, focusing them towards one another. Lament is taking the pain and going vertical. 
grumbling and quarreling, is forgetting the presence of the Lord. He's right here with us and seeking to honor him with our words. Grumbling is the forgetting of the presence of the Lord. And this is why we have to check our self-righteousness at the door because we've all been guilty of this. In our diverse opinions, we are tempted. We are tempted to have and reflect fear rather than faith that our great God is at work despite trying times. Christians should look different than the world in these days. We have hope. We should look different. We have a gospel to give to the world, a hope of saving grace. We should be reflecting that hope and living lives of love rather than quarreling or grumbling with each other as we go about our day or on social media. Some might say, this quarreling seems kind of justified. The grumbling seems kind of justified, right? These issues are big deals, right? Well, couldn't Israel had said that? Water's a pretty big deal. I don't have water. And God says, you grumbled against me and against Moses, forgetting I was with you. And it was such a serious thing, God commanded that he be struck in their place. The cross tells us how serious this is. And so, at the very beginning, we are to remember the presence of God with us. For where he is, there is hope. So church, let's praise him. Let's praise him today that the justice demanded for quarreling and grumbling people like us has been satisfied in Jesus. Our hope is not in what we can do for others. Our hope is what has been done for us. Our God took the blows that we deserved. He ordered that he would be struck so that we would never receive the strike of condemnation. He was struck for us so that we can be forgiven. This is when we must celebrate the beauty of his son and the freedom that was won on the cross. Friends, let's live differently. Let's stop acting like he's not around or not at work. Let's remember his presence and proclaim life, uh, proclaim Christ. That's the first lesson. Remember his presence. He is with us and he is working. And so, now I hope you can see what happens is this first crisis, no water, leads to a second crisis of enemies coming at them. Does this sound familiar? We might have one crisis of COVID that is then followed by racial tension and injustice, which will probably be followed by an election. All kind, and COVID is still around, right? So we understand a little bit of crisis followed by crisis followed by crisis. And Peter told us we should expect it, right? He told us, don't be surprised that there are fiery trials that are coming your way. The question is, how will we respond And the primary lesson, point two, is this, that we exalt Jesus together. When the crises keep coming, what is our response? The primary lesson here is to exalt Jesus together. Now, we run into the passage that I read at the top of the sermon. The passage where the people of Israel are attacked by the Amalekites. Moses goes to the top of the hill with the staff of God with Aaron and Hur. He sends Joshua out to lead the armies to fight against the Amalekites. As Moses' arm is up with the staff of God in his hand, Israel prevails. 
He gets weak. You can imagine. Just do this for the whole sermon, okay? And see if your arms get tired. You hold the arm up. It gets weak. And so Aaron and her bring a stone. He sits on the stone for rest. Aaron and her hold up his arms. As the arms are up, what we see is the victory of God. And so it ends this way. Verses 12 and 13 of Exodus 17, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. There are just a few things that we can take from this passage. Here's the first one. God uses human leaders to accomplish his remarkable purposes. Moses was the clear leader, and God used him to lead the people through this. Parents, pastors, other forms of authority. God has given you your role. And he promises to use you to accomplish his great uh, purposes. You might say, but I don't feel qualified. It's so hard. Well, that leads us to the second lesson that he teaches us. Human leaders are human. That means they're weak. God chooses weak people to lead. That means no leader will ever be omnicompetent. No parent will ever be omnicompetent. You never meant to. We will never know everything, be everywhere, say it all right, make perfect decisions. I know what it's like. We want parents or leaders to fix things. But the truth is they have weaknesses. And all of that is by design so that God's strength will be made perfect in the weakness. He gets the glory for the victory. If your leaders aren't weak, then God doesn't become the hero. They do. It's not a license for sin. It's not a license to abdicate hard work and leadership. However, leaders, be humble. Those that are being led, be patient. Because God uses human leaders, and they're going to be human. They're weak. Next lesson is that God provides teams of leaders to complement and support weaknesses. We see this here. Why? Because Moses didn't lead the army down there. Joshua did. He told Joshua to gather the army and to go do it, and he had to go fight the battle. Moses couldn't hold his arms up. Aaron and Hur did. He provides this beautiful complement to accomplish his great purposes. That's why we have a plurality of elders. We believe that's the pattern in the scriptures. That's why there's a team of deacons here at the church. That's why we have team leads and community group leaders and ministry team leaders. God has given us the task of making disciples of all the nations so that we would do it together. Hold each other's arms up. I used this passage this week as I was praying for a dear brother who was sick. And I said, please let me know how to pray for you. Please let me know so that in your weakness, I can hold up your spiritual arms. You follow the image now, don't you? That we are given each other, sometimes physically, many times spiritually, we can hold each other up through prayer, through advocacy. Because we were designed to need one another. Clearly, this passage speaks to our need for one another 
in the midst of our God-given roles to accomplish his, his great aims. The last one is this. Physical striving is a part of our journey, but God is our strength. Where do I get this? <laughs> Joshua had to go fight the battle, did he not? Moses had to physically hold up his arms. This is not just spiritually speaking. We have to physically go and obey Jesus. We have to do hard physical work. These things are necessary. We must take action, responsibility. It's head, heart, hands, and feet that God asks us to employ. But make no mistake, although all these lessons you can take away from this passage, there's one primary lesson. One primary lesson in this passage, and that is God is the victor, right? Surely we can hear this and say we're supposed to stand back astounded that God defeated the Amalekites. We're not ultimately supposed to look at Joshua and say, wow, what a good military warrior, or Moses, what a great staff holder. We're supposed to say, look at God and how he defeats the Amalekites. That's the point of the story. God is meant to be the hero. And this is why Martin Luther's hymn, when he says, were not the right man on our side, our striving would be losing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Who is the right man at our side that keeps our striving from being losing? It's Jesus Christ. He's meant to be the one that is held up. And that's why at the end of this section, God says, Moses, Go out, write this down as a memorial in a book, make an altar, and on the altar, call this its name, the Lord is my banner. The name of the altar was meant to be, God is the hero. It's meant to be, my boast is in God. I don't know about you, but growing up, the thing to do was to have posters hanging on your wall of the things you love. My wife, she had posters in her room growing up of new kids on the block. Yes, that is a group, and if you don't know who they are, I think you're probably better for it. But she had the poster on her wall of new kids on the block. For me, it was sports teams. I remember loving the Cincinnati Reds baseball team growing up. So I would have a pennant hanging up in my room because these were the things that we loved. Some of my kids, they have the NBA All-Stars in their room because they love basketball. These are the things that we put up because we love them. We enjoy them. God was saying, if you're going to put something up, make an altar here and make sure that what is set on it is the Lord is my boast. He is my greatest love. He's the banner that's going to fly over my life. You know, you've seen those planes fly overhead and they've got these huge banners. It's like, what's your life going to pull along with it? What does it leave a trail of? Jesus is my greatest hope. That is what we are meant to exalt together. Now, there's a really weird parallel passage to this, okay? You're going to think I've lost my mind and don't know how to put things together. That might be true. However, I think this one goes together. Numbers 21. There was another time in Israel's history where Israel was speaking against God and against Moses. It's in Numbers 21. And the people of Israel, they're going around and they, they're seeking to go around the people of Edom. And that is a great enemy of God's people. And as they are going around this land which held the Edomites, 
It says, quote, Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9, they became impatient on the way and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why? Because just like in Exodus 17, they had no water. Okay? So here's what happened. This is how serious he took this. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and many died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned speaking against the Lord and against you. He, they said, ask God to take away these snakes. And the Lord told him to do this. Make a fiery serpent. And he made one out of bronze. And he said, put it on a pole and lift it up for all to see. And if the serpent bites anyone, they should look upon the pole and they would be healed. They would live. Isn't it interesting? He didn't take away the snakes right away. Instead, when they were bitten and desperate, they would be forced to say, who am I going to put my trust in? Who am I going to put my trust in? And if they ran to the pole and looked, it was putting their trust in the Lord and they were saved. Do you know what the word for pole is in Numbers 21, 8 and 9? It's the exact same word used in Exodus 17 for the word banner. It's the exact same word. Why is that significant? Because when he tells them to look upon the serpent that they might live, there's a connection. Exodus 17 tells us, lift up the staff symbolizing the presence of God. And as he lifted it up, what happened? Victory came out of defeat. When the bronze snake is lifted up as a banner symbolizing the presence of God, there is life coming out of death. So when Jesus is lifted up on the cross where there should be condemnation, there is justification and life eternal. And just to let you know I'm not stretching this, this is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 3. When he says, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The foreshadowing punchline of Exodus 17 is not just water came out of a rock or hold up Moses' arms for victory. The point is God stands in our place. Remember, he was struck. And when he is exalted, that is lifted up, there is hope and rescue and life. The point is, look to Jesus. Believe in him. Look to Jesus. Trust him. The point is, exalt the crucified and risen Christ as your greatest boast. Dear friends, we have one prominent message, and that's Jesus. May nothing else dilute the one prominent message banner over our lives that's Jesus no cause should ever rival Christ we should be known for loving Christ 
Look at your family. What would your spouse or kids or brothers and sisters, your roommates, say is your primary banner? Look at your social media. What would your followers say is your primary banner? Look at your other relationships that have lasted for a little while. What would they say is your primary banner? This is not an advocacy for Christian clothing or bumper stickers. This is an advocacy for a Bible-soaked, Jesus-exalting, Christ-treasuring life that leaves a trail that says, Jesus is everything to me. Moses was told, make a memorial where the Lord is our banner, that that's the name. Dear friends, there's been so much tension, so much tension around Issues of justice and mercy and what is justice? What's the church's role? What does care for the poor look like? How do we advocate for certain things with not neglecting primary things? And I just want to tell you, I'm not here to solve these things today. But I think there are three statements that I want to put before you that I've adapted from David Platt's book, Something Needs to Change, that I think will be guardrails in all of our differing opinions to help us refuse the polarizing climate of our day and to be faithful to Jesus. Here are the three things. I commend them to you. Listen to all the words. Number one, work hard to help well amidst earthly suffering through acts of justice and mercy. We must be a people who care for the poor, seek justice, do mercy, walk humbly with God. Work hard to help well amidst earthly suffering through acts of justice and mercy. Two, work harder to work together to keep people from eternal suffering through gospel proclamation and biblical fidelity. Three, work hardest to treasure Christ above all. Work hard, work harder, work hardest. To neglect any of these is sin. To mess with the order is getting your priorities out of order. The point here is exalting Jesus together. That is what this passage is meant for. Lift up Jesus. And that will affect how we live our lives. But the Lord is who we exalt, who we owe everything to. And finally, with Christ as our banner, may we share the burden. May we share the burden. If you look at chapter 18, it's long. It's 27 verses. So I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to summarize it for you. encourage you to look at it in your own time. But what's happening now is the people of Israel are in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness and they're at the mountain of God in Sinai. And Moses meets his father-in-law, Jethro. Now, his father-in-law, Jethro, had taken his wife and his two children. His wife, Zipporah, his two children, Gershom and Eleazar. His kids' names were Immigrant and God is my help. Okay? Those are the names. And so Jethro brings them out to meet Moses. And so they greet each other, and Moses sits there. And he says, I got some stories to tell you. Can you imagine? You've just experienced the exodus out of Egypt. 
You've just seen all these things, and okay, I got a few things I'd like to share with you. <laughs> you might be talking for a while, but this is what Moses does. He just goes and he starts sharing all that God had done. It says that he told him of the judgment of the Lord on Pharaoh and Egypt, about the hardships they had encountered, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced and blessed the Lord and ended up sacrificing to him this great sense of this is the one true God. I must bow before him, go to him for the forgiveness of sins. But now here's what happens the next day. Jethro watches Moses judging the people's disputes from morning till evening. And as he watches Moses work so tirelessly all day long, Jethro now takes the opportunity, as a good father-in-law should, and speak into Moses' life. You might be like, well... I don't know that I want my father-in-law speaking into my life. Well, that wasn't the question. He asked Moses, what are you doing? Moses replied, well, I'm counseling them. I'm bringing them to God. I'm bringing God's word to bear upon their disputes and their troubles. Jethro says this from Exodus 18, verses 17 and 18, if you're there with me. Jethro says, that's a problem. He says, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Let's just sit back. He says, I'm counseling them. I'm bringing the word of God to bear upon them. And I'm helping them solve disputes according to God's word. And Jethro says, that's not good. Why is that not good? It's not the content. It's the fact that he's doing it all himself. So we've got to remember that God is among us. And we've got to make it our primary aim to exalt Jesus. But we've got to do it together and share the burden of this life together. And so he's saying you've got to be about human flourishing. Whenever... He says, it's not good. What did God say at the beginning? This is not good for man to be alone, right? What does good mean there? It means everything that is optimal for human flourishing. He's saying, this is the, what you're doing right here is not for human flourishing. It's not good. You can't be sustained in it. You're going to wear yourself out. This is why one maxim we have as a staff is equip more than do. We've got to be an equipping people. Not just a doing people. And so there's a humility check here for Moses. As sometimes there is for us when people speak into their, our lives. And I just encourage you, don't shut it out. Process it. Listen. But here's some wisdom that is now being given to Moses. And we're going to try to apply it to our lives. Four priorities. Look at it with me. He says this. Moses, narrow your task. Priority one. Moses was to give them God's word and help them see how to love and how to live. So, but he would take the large matters and he would give away the smaller matters to those that he trusted. So, priority one, Moses, you got to narrow down what you do. You've got to make sure that you're about giving them the word and solving major disputes. That leads to priority two. Now you have to look for abled men who fear God. And there were some qualifications to these people that you look for. 
trustworthy. They aren't leading for greedy gain. And here's one. They're able to settle disputes, not create them. Their aim was to be dispute settlers, peacemakers. And so, the priority, Moses, narrow down your task. Look for able-bodied individuals who are going to come and they're going to help you, who are trustworthy and not greedy and able to settle disputes. Priority three, organize clearly so that the burden is shared. So that the burden is shared. It says, so it'll be easier for you. Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. It'll be easier, I mean not 12, 18, verse 22. So it'll be easier for you. And they will bear the burden with you. So what they were to do is they were to organize them in thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. And this is in part how we do our community group structure. There's this sense of smaller groups. You do small well, you'll be able to do the larger church well. So we organize clearly so that the burden is shared. It's not just on a few, it's on us all. So yesterday... As a family, what we did was, it was a very hot day, and because of some of the the COVID stuff, we have not chosen to go to public pools, so we decided to make a slip and slide in our backyard. We took some old painting plastic, and we extended it down uh, this hill in the backyard, and our backyard is not very large so there's like rocks over here (laughs) and and there's like a plumbing pipe over here and we decided to try to navigate this plastic right between them both okay because that's basically the only hill we had so we took a a cone and we put it over the the plumbing the plumbing pipe that was sticking out we took this float and we put it over the rocks I stood next to the rocks now you're getting ready to call child protective services on me I, I imagine but what we did then was we put soap all over this thing and we put water on it And then the kids just went and they started diving on it, you know. And the first couple of runs, you hear more screeching than you do anything because it's just not equally spread out. But by the time it was over, they were zipping down it. So much so, I had to take this inflatable raft and hold it at the bottom because we were running out of runway. The plastic wasn't long enough and there's like this row of trees and a fence back there. So yeah, we were desperate for fun. And so I'm holding this thing like this and they would run into me, but inevitably I couldn't get low enough. So my little girl, Mercy, man, she was plowing down. She hit my legs. I went sprawling face first in the mud. It was great. We had a lot of fun. As we were doing that, what I began to see is that that event would not have been half as fun if it were organized by one person. My wife and my son Jaden got this idea, let's do a slip and slide. I said, I think I know that there's a larger tarp than we have over in the attic. So went and got the tarp. My dad comes and he's like, hey, I think you could take this tripod thing and hook the hose on it so that it's squirting up and you don't have to stand there and hold it. And then others just really enjoyed the moment. So, but there was a sense that we all came together to make what could have been okay into a lot of fun because we chose to work together. And one of this, one of the lessons that is for us here is that shared responsibility is better. 
it's better because the fourth priority is this. God promises direction and endurance and peace. Listen to the promise. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure and all this people will go to their place in peace. I just want you to step back. Like God cares about these details. And he's saying, I love you so much. I want you to be able to endure to the end. And so as I look at us as a church, especially in this season of such confusion and all kinds of things that are going on in our lives, we were given each other for a reason. To share the responsibility so that the few aren't wearied, but that we all together endure. And God loves us so much to say, I care that you make it to the end. And the way we endure, not just physically, but spiritually, is that he looked at his son and he killed his son on the cross so that all who would trust in him would know the security of being kept in the father's hands. And he says, I will keep you and I will keep you to the end. So I pray. I pray you remember his presence. I pray that you exalt Jesus together In this season of crisis, may nothing get us off Christ being our treasure. And may we share the burden with one shared spirit. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I ask that in this moment, you would cause us to be still and reflect. Reflect on all that you are for us. Reflect on your great love for us. I pray that our banner above everything else would be Christ and him crucified. I pray that the trail that's left behind our lives, our relationships would know that Jesus is our treasure. And I pray that because of that, we would work hard to work well amidst physical suffering through acts of justice and mercy. And that God, you would make us work harder to be gospel proclaimers, to watch eternal suffering be addressed. Father, Father, I just ask that above all, we would treasure Christ. And so now as we take the Lord's Supper together, I just ask God that you would help us, that you would help us to reflect on our need for Jesus in our place for the forgiveness of our sins and that there would be a celebration in our lives that he's alive. And at work in us right now. So God please don't let these words fall on deaf ears. May we see you at work. And may we do the hard work of sitting with you. And applying these things. And writing them down. And sharing them with others. Father make us followers of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.